G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Our attention today on issues of Christian persecution around the world and with the context of the rising anti-Semitism that we're seeing on our news each night uh, since October 7, the terror attack on Israel. Interestingly, the FBI in the United States has been warning of a dangerous period as terrorist groups look to leverage the conflict for their own causes. You may not know, but this week is Suffering Church Action and Awareness Week. It started last Sunday. It's the opportunity for Australian Christians to stand alongside our suffering church family to make known their situation and demonstrate Christ's love to them in prayer and practical action. And it's bigger than we might all imagine, as many as 360 million Christians suffering severe persecution around the world. Well, the focus this year is on the faithfulness of God. There's lots of good things to talk about over this coming hour with our special guest, Ashley Saunders, who's Head of Partnerships for Barnabas Aid in Australia. Barnabas Aid works with Christians suffering discrimination and depression in over a hundred countries. Ashley Saunders, a special welcome back to 2020. Uh, thank you, Neil. It's really good to be with you. And uh, the topic uh, might seem somewhat heavy to some of your listeners, but I, I love that introduction because people can be encouraged that there is hope. And, and, and during the course of the next little while, hopefully we'll be able to get onto that as well. And you know what? We're not afraid to have a heavy topic, and some people only want light and fluffy, but uh, we're not afraid of a heavy topic, and it is, as you say, a heavy one, because while we're looking at images of uh, war in the Middle East, uh, we're aware that there are uh, things that are on an upswing so far as persecution goes around the world, because anti-Semitism is rising around the world, but it's not just the Jewish people that appear to be targets, uh, there's also a focus on uh, any sorts of religious conflict and oftentimes Christians are the target. Uh, this sort of thing's on the rise, Ashley. Uh, yes, they are. And uh, w- Jesus said that there will be persecution and he said that if they persecute me, they, they will persecute you. And we've seen this in a whole range of places, but it is getting worse. And as you say, when there is um, political instability, when there is government instability, when there is war, when there is strife, then there are groups of extremists who will leverage that for their own benefit. And, uh, for example, Palestinian Christians uh, have really had it tough for many years uh, because uh, they're, they're people who are faithful to Jesus. And, and so they are in a very difficult and vulnerable position but it's not just in the Middle East. It's, it's in other places as well that uh, where people see instability, where they see war, where extremists see that kind of breakdown of society, they see that as a crack into which they can inject themselves and their agenda. Uh, 
Let's just stay with this for a few moments, because when you raise the plight of Palestinian Christians, uh, mostly we're just tarring everyone with the same brush. And we're thinking that uh, all of those Palestinians are Muslim, uh, Islamists, uh, supportive of uh, Hamas. And we know that there is a separation between the terrorist organisation Hamas and the ordinary Palestinian people who appear to be, in some sense, uh, being used in, in this conflict. But in, a, in the midst of all of that, there are Christian Palestinian people as well. And sometimes we wonder, how do we make sense of all this? How do we have an opinion and even a conviction about what's going on when we know that there are Christian people also in the mix? How have you been able to sort of boil that down to a, an understanding, Ashley? Well, Jesus reaches people in all sorts of places, and there are Christian uh, Jewish people, there are Christian Israelites, there are Messianic Jews. So in the whole of the Holy Land, yes, there is a predominance of uh, Judaism in uh, the state of Israel. There is a predominance of Islam in places like Gaza, the West Bank and Lebanon and surrounding countries. And yet in all of those places, there are Christians as a minority who seek to be faithful to Jesus and who constantly feel at pressure from the majority alongside whom they live and work. Uh, because they don't really fit the mould. They don't fit the generalisation. Uh, they don't fit the description or the understanding. And so to be Christian in the Holy Land is to be vulnerable. In some ways, like the meat in the sandwich, uh, when you've got uh, what some might say, if you break it down into the religious aspects of war in the Middle East right now, you've got uh, Jewish Israelis uh, versus Muslim um, uh, uh, Islamist. So in some sense, Christians are not necessarily the focus of what's going on with that conflict, but we get caught up in that conflict and we find that there are Christian people in the middle of it. Yes, there are. And uh, they've been reaching out to Barnabas Aid. And so we launched an appeal within the last few weeks to help Christians in the Holy Land. We're using that expression to cover the whole of the region where um, where the Bible is set, where Jesus lived and, 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 and ministered. And so across that whole region, there are Christians who are really suffering and, being, and feeling vulnerable. And so as we're able, through the generosity of supporters and working through partners, uh, Christian partners in different places, uh, we're providing help to them. And it's, from our perspective, it's a, a practical demonstration of love that Jesus said, love one another, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. From their perspective, it's knowing that there are people who care for them uh, because they don't always get a sense that their uh, governments uh, care for them. They don't always get a sense that their wider communities care for them. And of course, in terms of the media, uh, the worldwide media focuses on Israel versus Hamas or in the north, Israel versus Hezbollah. So as a Christian believer, to make sense of where you might set yourself with compassion for all of those who might be suffering in this time, it's not about necessarily taking sides or just talking about one part of the whole context, but actually expressing and demonstrating a Christian appreciation for how we might treat one another across all of those contexts. So as you were saying, you know, you've got... To, the uh, Hezbollah uh, in Lebanon in the north, and you've got those 
Israelis who are Christians who have suffered also. But then you've got those who are in Gaza, those who might be in West Bank, those who were in uh, in Jordan, those who are further south in Egypt who might be actually suffering in this time. So the way you make sense of this is that you have an unconditional sense of love and support for those who are suffering. Yes, that's right. And in terms of our ministry, a particular focus on suffering Christians. So, for example, in Lebanon, uh, just in the south of Lebanon, not far from the border with Israel, there is a significant Christian community. Now, Christians in Lebanon are still a minority, but fearing what might happen, fearing an outbreak into the whole region, many of those Christians have left their home because they're in the firing line. Uh, And so even though there's not a war, even though there's not active uh, airstrikes and and all the rest of it, uh, they're fearing for their stability, they're fearing for their lives and and leaving, and therefore they're homeless, so to speak. They're they're, uh, moving away. Uh, They're internal refugees. So uh, whether it's in the areas uh, where there is strife, active military battles, or whether it's people like in southern Christians in southern Lebanon leaving because they fear that there will be an escalation. There are Christians across the whole region who are very vulnerable. And take this a further step, Ashley, because there are Christians who may be vulnerable not just in the localised Middle East region and those nations that surround Israel, but when you've got global publicity and the sorts of conflict that is being promoted, and there's propaganda machines operating left, right and centre. Right around the world, Christians are also facing some vulnerabilities right now. Uh, yes, they are. Uh, and again, there has been uh, persecution of Christians at, throughout the Christian history, but certainly uh, in recent decades it has been escalating. And right now... Uh, There are some very dangerous places for Christians. And again, it's about government instability. It's about uh, military war and the consequences of that. uh, You you talked about leveraging uh, instability for their own purposes. Uh, The most dangerous place to be a Christian today is in the northern and middle belt of Nigeria, where it is estimated that uh, perhaps even more than 3,000 Christians in those regions are killed every year. It's worth repeating that because we find that that staggering thousands of Christians killed in parts of one country in Africa. And when you've got conflict like what is going on in the Middle East, is it the case, Ashley Saunders, that when you then reflect on what's happening in Nigeria every day, every year, thousands of Christians being killed, that somehow or other those things can be under the radar because when the global headlines are all about one conflict, uh, there are those who like to optimise and maximise their opportunity to sneak in under the radar and do what their agenda uh, wants to do. Is this something that you're mindful of? Oh, yes, very much so. And we saw that only a few months ago in Uganda where there was an attack uh, on uh, a Christian school uh, with uh, many killed. Uh, And so when the the world's attention is on, as it was then on the Ukraine, uh, as the world's attention is on the Middle East, then the extremists in other areas will take their opportunity. And so based on what has been happening in Nigeria and surrounding countries, uh, what's coming to happen in Uganda, what's happening uh, in parts of Mozambique, there are now predictions, for example, in Africa 
of an Islamic caliphate that goes from the Atlantic Ocean to the Indian Ocean, and there are extremists who are out to bring that about. So those chants that listeners might be aware of uh, that are happening in Israel and the Palestinian peoples, you know, from the river to the sea, uh, in other words, wiping out of the uh, Jewish people, uh, these sorts of chants, and perhaps we haven't got any evidence of the actual chants, but if you're saying these are what their people are saying there, uh, that from basically uh, from coast to coast uh, and is a, a new caliphate uh, for uh, the entire continent of Africa. Uh, that would be a scary thing, wouldn't it? Uh, yes, it is. And perhaps it comes as a surprise to many of your listeners to know that uh, after what happened in Iraq and Syria, the focus of ISIS, of Islamic State, of the that particular extremist Islamist movement, the centre of that, the focus of that is now in Africa. And so that's why you see in Nigeria, in Burkina Faso, in Cameroon, across into Uganda and, and now in Mozambique uh, and other countries, you can see that they're trying to take across that whole middle region uh, of, of uh, Africa. And they do that, as you say, flying under the radar because no one's really paying attention to it. The, the media is not really publicising this. Uh, I met a Nigerian Christian in Brisbane not that long ago, and he just couldn't understand why the world's media is silent about what his people are facing. Uh, but it goes without reporting. It takes a little while, doesn't it, uh, for all of us, for the facts of one situation to sink in. So, you know, hearkening back to the issues in Syria and ISIS, well, we finally all started to understand ISIS, but then we didn't necessarily understand that there were other groups similar or worse, like uh, Boko Haram, uh, that were forming uh, all sorts of uh, dreadful plans in Africa. And so we think that they're separate organisations, but they have a similar ideological bent. Yes, it's, it's, it's a very Islamist uh, ideological bent. And it's worth probably going back in history to recognise that when uh, Muhammad um, formed uh, the religion of Islam, that at least initially there was tolerance for uh, Jews and Christians as both being part of what you might call the monotheistic family. Uh, but that didn't last long, and there, there became a doctrine in Islam that says that if you are in an Islamic area and you remain a Jew or a Christian, then you're effectively a second-class citizen, and in many places you need to pay a tax because you're a second-class citizen. Uh, and, and so it was still, in a sense, toleration, but a bit like apartheid, uh, toleration, but you're not as good as us. Uh, but in some places then, and increasingly over the years in different places, uh, it's been, look, we're not going to agree to that doctrine. You either convert or we're going to kill you. And we've, we've seen that kind of thing happen uh, over and over again, and listeners would just be too conscious of that kind of thing happening in different places in, in recent decades. And Ashley, uh, Suffering Church Action and Awareness Week, what does that mean for listeners uh, listening to our conversation today? Uh, what's the sort of thing we need to pick up from that? Uh, well, firstly, to recognise that as followers of Jesus, we are encouraged to stand with our brothers and sisters who suffer. Jesus commands us to love one another. What does it mean to love our Christian brother and sister globally uh, and 
to pray for them, uh, to support them in prayer. The writer of the Hebrews talked about that, that we should be almost in chains with those of our brothers and sisters uh, who were in prison for their faith. And, and so the focus of Suffering Church Action and Awareness Week is to set aside a week, and uh, some churches are doing that this week. Some small groups are doing that this week. Uh, Barnabas Aid has a whole range of resources uh, that can be obtained online for small groups and churches. Some will do it at a different time, but the idea is to focus for a week on standing with our brothers and sisters. And you know what, Neil? And that is that when we do that, not only are we supporting them in prayer, but we realize how much they have to teach us. Uh, because their faithfulness in the midst of horrors that we can't even really imagine uh, is humbling to me. Well, for listeners, uh, BarnabasAid.org, to find out more about the week we're talking about, Suffering Church Action and Awareness Week, plenty more to talk about so far as those things that are going beyond uh, what we're seeing in the localised area of the Middle East around the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Ashley, let me ask you about one of those situations that's been developing uh, in another part of the world, and uh, for listeners, I guess, just to the north of Iran, um, you know, if we're getting a geographical context, uh, Azerbaijan and the Armenian people. Well, the Armenian people have got a long, rich Christian history, and uh, they've been under lots of pressure and attack from the Azerbaijanis. Uh, what are your thoughts on developing situations there? Uh, well, it's really appalling. Uh, so there was, until last month, a Christian-Armenian enclave in the boundaries of Azerbaijan called Nagorno-Karabakh. And Christian-Armenians have lived there uh, for, for close to 2,000 years. They've got a very long association with that region, with that country, with that land. And uh, only a year or so ago, uh, Azerbaijan uh, took a, a concerted attack, military attack, uh, they blockaded. It was almost like a siege uh, so that they they excluded routes to get back to Armenia. Uh, and so there was this blockade, there was military action, and then a very serious military strike only uh, a couple of months ago, as a result of which almost the entire population, the entire Armenian population of that Nagorno-Karabakh region uh, have fled to Armenia and uh, they're quite uh, distressed. They're, uh, they've lived in that area for uh, centuries, as I say, for nearly 2,000 years. And, uh, and so they're in a terrible situation and they need desperate help. In this time when people think in a secular way, uh, they might wonder about the conflict, uh, how much of the religious persuasions of each of these groups might have contributed to the fact that there's been uh, this displacement of the Armenian people. Have you got any reflection here, uh, given the Armenian people, as we say, you know, largely a Christian people, now, as you have indicated, almost completely displaced from their homeland uh, by the Azerbaijanis? Uh, what are your thoughts here around the role that religious belief plays in the sorts of conflicts we're seeing like this around the world? Uh, plays a significant part. You, you see, in places like Australia, we tend to identify people ethnically 
But what we in Australia fail to recognise, I think, in large part, is that for much of the world, there is an, a very close link between a people and their religion. Uh, I could illustrate that by saying when I was in Iran many years ago, not connected with Barnabas Aid, and I was in the city of Isfahan, and I was talking to a carpet seller who was explaining all the Armenian symbols uh, in this carpet. And he was so knowledgeable, I asked him, are you Armenian? And he was so offended because he said, no, I'm a Muslim. And I had to quickly apologize and say, I was asking about your ethnicity. But of course, he knows that Armenians are Christians. Uh, and and so the the link between ethnicity and religion is just so close in many parts of the world. And, and so in terms of the excuses that people use, and even if I could be so bold as to say the excuses that apologists for the extremists use in Western countries like Australia, they'll say, oh, no, that's a land dispute or that's an ethnic dispute. Uh, and people in parts of Nigeria, for example, they say to us, just a minute, if this is a land dispute, if this is an ethnic dispute, why do they shout out Allah Akbar as they do the killing? Why do they do that in the name of Allah, their God? And why do they target churches instead of just the people? And so the actions speak to the reality that there is a religious component consistent with wanting to get the Christians out of this place. And, of course, uh, this religious component, uh, that's what we say is forming the culture, the culture of the people, and therefore uh, people have different cultural attributes. And so you've got Christians who have different cultural attributes. We can even identify maybe some of those here as Aussies, but those different cultural attributes that are being formed in the culture of the Islamist uh, people, uh, they are different too. And one wants to wipe the other out. Now, that's where the challenge comes in, isn't it? It's not just a dispute over land. It's actually a deeper religious spirit, in some sense, that wants to uh, impose itself and displace another. And uh, maybe even and in the, in the situation that's going on uh, in Israel uh, with Hamas, uh, not just to displace a people from their land, but actually to wipe out the people completely. So that's the sort of rhetoric, isn't it, that comes from the cultural side of the Iranian leadership who are so anti-Israel and uh, really, I guess, overflowing with hatred. This sort of cultural idea, we don't always appreciate the religious foundations that cause the conflicts. Well, I think I've spoken before on this program, Neil, about what I would call ideological nationalism. And mostly that ideology is a religious ideology, but sometimes it might be a communist or a secular or a Maoist ideology. For example, uh, in Myanmar, uh, there is very much persecution of Christians because to be Burman, the, the predominant people group, is to be Buddhist. Therefore, if you're not Buddhist, then we've got to get rid of you. Uh, under the Cultural Revolution of Mao in China, uh, there was the idea of getting rid of all the olds, and that included the old culture, the old this and the old that. Ashley, let's come back to the Bible here for a few moments, uh, because as Christians, uh, we wonder how extensive our compassion, our empathy is. 
uh, for believers who are not just in our own local backyard, uh, but around the world as well. What do you, what's your reflection on, on how the Christian thinks of these things? Because we live in a world that is so much closer to us. We understand so many more things that are going on. What are your thoughts here, a biblical foundation for how we as Christians think about the suffering that's going on around the world? Well, Scripture encourages us to stand with our brothers and sisters, to love one another. And as you say, the world, in a sense, is getting smaller. We're much more aware of these things. And so whereas, you know, a a few decades ago even, the ability to appreciate what was happening in different places uh, was much more restricted. Let me say that, for example, in the 1980s, when uh, our founder was trying in Britain to have church leaders understand what was happening at the hands of Islamic extremists uh, to Christians. Uh, much of the the church in England was not, not the church of England, but the church in England was not really open to hearing about that because the big enemy was communism. The big enemy was the Iron Curtain. That was the big barrier. Uh, and so it wasn't until the breakdown of the Iron Curtain, the rise of Islamic extremist terrorism through the 90s, that the West started to take notice that, yes, there are Christians in these countries and they are suffering. And the world has just continued to get smaller. We encourage people to pray and at the expense of perhaps a little bit of promo, one of the great things that we get good feedback about uh, from our magazine is that we have a prayer guide. And so for every day of the currency of that magazine, there is a specific prayer for a specific situation or people that we can pray uh, and we can join with each other in prayer. And prayer is the most important thing we can do. We can pray for them and we can pray for their faithfulness. I might even just go on and say this. When we speak to persecuted Christians, they rarely say, please pray that the persecution will stop. They mostly say, please pray that in the face of persecution, we will be faithful. That's a real lesson to you and to me and to our listeners. What about this prayer guide idea? Some will say, oh, that's just another novelty thing that you might have. Uh, Sitting by your bedside table, maybe it's tucked into the front cover of your Bible, or maybe you're going online and you're getting some guidance uh, for a prayer guide. But we are talking about an action and awareness type of a week and a focus on persecuted believers. How valuable is having a prayer guide that might mean that somehow or other the plight of persecuted Christians is not out of your thoughts, but you're regularly coming back to how you might pray into circumstances? Does it work like that's the feedback you get, Ashley, about having a prayer guide? Uh, Over the years that I've been in uh, Christian pastoral ministry and now with Barnabas Aid, uh, one of the things that many people say to me is, It's easy to say, I'll pray for you, but it's not so easy to actually remember to do it and to do so on an informed basis. And so being informed, having a reminder, having a guide, all of those things can take it from, I'll pray for you, Neil, through to, I am praying for you. I have been praying for you. We get phone calls from people who'll say, in your prayer guide a few few months ago, you talked about a situation in such and such a country. What's an update on that? Uh, There are people we know in Australia who regularly pray. Let me even share this. If there's a holdup at the printer or at Australia Post so that the magazine doesn't get into people's mailboxes before the first of the month, we get phone calls from every state saying, 
I want to pray on an informed basis today, and I can't because I don't have a magazine. Uh, there are people in Australia who are praying fervently for the needs that we're bringing to their attention. So we never want to underestimate that there are praying believers uh, who do want to understand the context of what's going on for persecuted believers. And when I said those numbers, 360 million, it's almost mind-boggling uh, to assume that there's that much persecution of Christians around the world. And uh, in the next thought, you might even say, well, uh, isn't that because the church is growing? Isn't there a good story to tell behind all of that? But as the church grows, persecution also increases because of levels of conflict. But to be able to have a prayer guide that will at least keep your eyes on what the object of your prayers is. I want to ask you, Ashley Saunders, because it's one thing to have a prayer guide and to have some insight into all these different areas. And I mentioned you're working in a 100 countries, so there's obviously lots of issues that come to mind. When you've got this prayer guide, the expectation is that the prayer will pray and God's hand will move on the behalf of those who we are praying for. There's other dimensions, aren't there? It's what's happening in my heart. Uh, it's what's happening uh, to uh, the people who are receiving an understanding that we are prayer in prayer for them. There's a lot of dimensions that happen when you're praying. Uh, yes, that's right. And it, it is our privilege to pray. I nearly use the word responsibility, but it's a privilege. It's our privilege to pray for our brothers and sisters who suffer, uh, to bring their plight before the Lord, who encourages us to pour out uh, our hearts to him, that he might hear that. And there's a, there's a Christian song that says, you know, uh, break my heart for what breaks yours. And so it's part of me attuning my will, me attuning my heart, me attuning my thoughts to, to God's thoughts, to God's heart, to God's mind, and in that process for me to grow. And so prayer is a vital ministry. Uh, it's also a practical demonstration of love. And remember that Jesus, when he told us to love one another, not just said love one another, and you might say, well, what's love? Because these days it's just a wishy-washy feeling. Um, it, it, it's a hard love. It's a committed love. And Jesus says, how should we love? He says, just as I have loved you. That's scary, that we should love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, just as God in Jesus Christ loved us. And then he went on to say why. He said the evangelistic, the, the reputational importance of that, by this will all people know that you are my disciples. And that's why persecuted Christians pray for faithfulness, because they know that when their persecutors see their faithfulness, it will reveal something of who God is to them. And they say, please pray that they too will come to know Jesus. Well, Ashley, I don't know whether you read today's The Word for Today, but uh, those exact sentiments are the focus of today's daily devotional in The Word for Today. And so for people who have already read the word for today today, you'll know that when you have a prayer guide alongside your prayer time, uh, there is going to be a powerful impact. And uh, you know what? You could have the word for today and you could have prayer guides for the persecuted church. You might have all sorts of other things that will draw your attention to how you pray for the persecuted believers. You know, uh, back to the Bible, Lamentations 3 and verse 22 because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. 
a powerful scripture, Ashley Saunders, that says, God's got your back. And when we pray, we believe that God's got the back of those who are praying for and those who are being prayed for, they're encouraged that God's got their back. Oh, without a doubt. And a bit of context is that uh, Jeremiah, the prophet in writing Lamentations, he's been warning uh, the people of Israel uh, and Judah about uh, their sinfulness for some time. And now Lamentations is at a time when uh, Jerusalem has fallen. Uh, lots and lots of the uh, the people have been taken into captive, uh, taken captive into Babylon, and and he's lamenting. Perhaps talk for another day. The idea of a lament, uh, it's not something with which with which we in the West are really familiar. And so uh, the first several verses of chapter three go through how terrible the situation is, how broken I am. It even feels like God has turned His back on me. It feels like He's not answering my prayers. And then Jeremiah says, but then I bring this to mind. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And, and so uh, there's that sense of, yes, things are terrible. Let's not deny the pain. Let's not deny the sorrow. Let's not deny the suffering. But in the midst of that, consciously bring to mind how good God is that his love, his mercies, his faithfulness never ends. And in that, we can have some hope. Let's talk hope a little deeper here, because uh, even having a conversation like this, uh, 360 million Christians uh, suffering severe persecution, all of the dreadful headlines we are exposed to, very easy for the Christian believer to somehow or other be consumed uh, with, you know, the glasses half empty. Uh, that things are looking bad. Uh, you can have this sort of uh, very negative view of the world. But the thing that does counter the negative view of our own hearts uh, that brings encouragement is this issue of hope. How do you describe hope, Ashley Saunders, uh, for, for those who are under persecution and for those of us who might feel that quite deeply? The hope is grounded in a certainty a certainty of God's love, a certainty of who Jesus is, a certainty that God will have his way. And there is not a, a simple expectation that the suffering will end, although they pray it might. But there's a sense in which the suffering will, will end either in this life or in the next. And so for some people in the world, maybe in Western countries, uh, we need to have a sense that being a Christian following Jesus is not just about the here and now, that it's actually about an eternity. And for others, um, it's almost the opposite. They, they recognize their eternal hope and they need to also focus on a present hope. Uh, I, I sometimes tell the story of a young man uh, in Indonesia who uh, was killed for his faith in 1999, at the height of the uh, extremist violence against Christians in East Indonesia. He was a boy of 14. Uh, we tell his story in one of our books. And he and other young people his age were targeted by the extremists, and they rounded him up, and the extremists said, what are you? And the, the extremist was wanting him to recant his faith and to uh, say that he was a Muslim. And he said, I'm a soldier of God. And with that, the machete sword slashed him. Uh, 
And the fellow cried out, what are you? And he again repeated, I'm a soldier of God. And this really incensed the person who was attacking him. And he called out, what's a soldier of God? And this young man said, a soldier of God is willing to die for Christ. And with that, he was killed. These are powerful stories, aren't they? And to be able to be that young man uh, with hope in your own heart that whatever happens, uh, I'm going to be in the hands of a loving saviour. And sometimes I reflect uh, that, you know, hope for our future is empowerment for our present. And so we're able to stand up under all sorts of pressures that come upon us. And so hope that's coming and instilled in the heart of the persecuted believer because they know that there are people in places like Australia who are keeping their plight before the Lord in prayer, keeping their names in the courts of the Lord. That's a very powerful thing. You know, we're talking awareness and also action. So if we talk about power for the present, you've also got some other ways that listeners can take action during this week. Um, there's a petition that you've got going. What's, what's the petition that you'd like listeners to be aware of? Uh, we are petitioning the Australian government to uh, do more in the um, Commonwealth countries of Africa. And in particular, we've highlighted Nigeria, Uganda and Mozambique. And uh, we're petitioning the Australian government to to work with uh, these governments who are Commonwealth uh, nations to um, see what can be better done locally for us as an Australian government to do all we can to equip and to empower their governments uh, to bring peace and stability and freedom from violence for Christians uh, and also to use diplomatic um, means to get this as an agenda item before the next Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting, uh, which is scheduled for 2024, October 2024 in Samoa. And so we have that petition in our latest magazine that uh, either is in the hands of people now or on their way. It's also accessible via the website uh, or by contacting the Australian office and uh, the number for that is on the website. So the website is BarnabasAid.org and uh, assuming that lots of people listening might not have, uh, you know, the latest prayer guide or uh, some materials that are coming from Barnabas Aid. So that might be the first point of connection there uh, on the website, BarnabasAid.org, and uh, you might be able to arrange to have some of that, you know, the hard copy in print uh, sent to you. Hey, as we wrap things up a little here, Ashley, the extent of persecution around the world, we've only touched on a few of the contexts where things are going very uh, badly in the sense of uh, the persecution of Christian believers. We touched on Nigeria and talked about the Armenians uh, under uh, that, uh, you know, dis being displaced by the Azerbaijanis. Uh, we touched on Burma. What other hotspots come to mind for you where Christians are really under intense pressure right now uh, for listeners to keep in mind, uh, perhaps even in their own prayers? Uh, in different parts of the world, but it is worth mentioning that, um, and I know we're focused on Africa, uh, it is increasingly the hotspot uh, for anti-Christian violence. Uh, we are conscious, most of us here in Australia, about what has been happening in parts of the Middle East. Uh, we're conscious of what happens in 
in, in other parts of the world, but parts of Africa. Uh, we used to talk about uh, the ban just before, just below northern Africa, but again, let me talk about Mozambique. This is a country that borders on South Africa. Now, sure, it's a long country, and where the, the problems in particular are, are in northern Mozambique, but even in a country that borders South Africa, there are some terrible anti-Christian atrocities. And, um, and so uh, Africa very much is a focus of, uh, of this because, again, we've talked about this, it flies under the radar. People aren't paying attention to it. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a story, I've mentioned uh, Myanmar, but uh, maybe a story of hope from Myanmar. We've been talking about an 83-year-old man, we've, we've called him Meng, uh, who had to flee into the jungle, as many Christians have. Uh, some Christians have gone over into Thailand and live in refugee champ camps. But this 83-year-old man who came to Christ uh, as a teenager and never, ever, ever had a Bible, a full Bible, only fragments uh, that he found. And as an 83-year-old man, he heard that through Barnabas Aid, uh, a free Bible was available. And he walked. Uh, I, I almost tear up when I say this. This 83-year-old man walked 150 kilometres to get his first free Bible. Uh, and and that's, that's a story of the hope and the perseverance that persecuted Christians have. He's had to leave his village any number of times over the years uh, to flee persecution. Uh, and yet he says, today I received my first free Bible. This is the happiest day of my life. You know, we can often uh, think and be excited about the growth of the Christian church. Uh, we don't always appreciate that that growth comes with it uh, connected to uh, the sorts of you know conflict that, that can come when uh, you've got Christian people. And, and as we talk about Africa here, the numbers of Christians in Africa estimated now to be half a billion Christians. And so when you've had uh, those uh, other religious groups, and, uh, you know, particularly we're talking about Islamic groups, uh, where there is Christian growth that threatens uh, the empowerment of those Islamic groups, uh, the Islamic groups then tend to be reactionary and uh, they come down hard on the Christians. And there's challenging times because the good story, isn't it, Ashley, that the church is growing, uh, that it is actually beyond even our imagination, the number of people who are converting to Christ, but they're converting to Christ oftentimes in a place where there is conflict that is arising because of those religious tensions that develop because Christians are growing and it's imposing on the territory that some think is theirs. There's a good story to tell, but out of that comes the increase in persecution. Uh, yes, great story to tell. Great to know that the Church of Jesus Christ is growing. Great to know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that Jesus founded. Uh, and yes, there is suffering. Um, but I guess a, a great place to finish is that there is hope in the midst of suffering. And I trust that listeners today will be encouraged to pray and be humbled by the experience of our Christian brothers and sisters in other places. Well, you may never have connected with Barnabas Aid, but an opportunity to do so today because of this week. And, uh, we know, we were talking about 
this week being a special week, a Suffering Church Action and Awareness Week. And you might want to connect with Barnabas Aid, their website, barnabasaid.org. And uh, there might be that extra bit of encouragement that says, hey, get a hold of a prayer guide so you can pray into issues of where Christians are being persecuted. I mentioned Barnabas Aid is working in over 100 countries, so they'll have updates that are coming out regularly so far as their prayer guide. BarnabasAid.org. Ashley Saunders is Head of Partnerships for Barnabas Aid in Australia. You'll be able to connect with Ashley through that website, BarnabasAid.org. Ashley, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with listeners once again today on 2020. I thank you, Neil, and uh, good morning to your listeners. You won't know how. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.